0: Speed once again, and he's, oh my goodness, that is huge! It's a white flag for the Cuban.
1: Hi, and welcome back to Trackcast by Triple Jumpers with your host, me, Marcus Lombard. Trackcast by Triple Jumpers features the best athletes, coaches, and interesting persons from all over the globe. Within the track and field. Last week I talked to the reigning world hammer throw champion Diana Price. It was a crazy good episode so if you haven't checked it out yet make sure to do so. Now this week's episode features the Georgia Bulldogs head coach Petros Cipriano. Petros gives his thoughts on track and field training, the culture of track and field in the US and in Europe. His best memories as a coach and much, much more. We talk a lot about training, so if you like that, stay with us. Let's jump into the 19th episode of Trackcast by Triple Jumpers featuring Petros Cupriano. Welcome to the show, Petros Cupriano.
0: Thank you, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, you know talk with uh, track and field people and especially triple jump.
1: Perfect. Okay. So how are you doing right now?
0: I'm doing good. I'm just, uh, um, you know, enjoying the the break per se. Um, You know, it's a little boring without competitions uh, and championships, but uh, uh, we're just here for the athletes and try to uh, keep them um, uh, in shape and kind of continue the maintenance uh, phase and um, uh, see what's uh, what's in the future for us uh, here in the in the states um, and start fresh for the Olympic year.
1: Yeah, so I've had a few athletes on the show talking about uh, the coronavirus and how how it affects them. But from a coaching standpoint, how does it affect the training plan? You have to battle closed facilities, etc. So how does that affect your your planning in your training?
0: Yeah, it is definitely a um, not a challenge, but a nice testing to see, um, you know, how creative coaches can be. And uh, I found um, I found a lot of positives in this. Um, You know, maybe the universe uh, is telling us, hey, it's time to take a break, take a breather and and attack the uh, little areas we neglect most of the times uh, like some, uh, specific motor skills or, um, you know, parts of our bodies that we don't, um, pay a lot of attention. Uh, I've been getting a lot of, um, um, a lot of good ideas and, uh, uh, from our athletes who have more time to sit down and, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a gym in my house and, uh, um, uh, and a lot of space and on the runway, um, that we can do a lot of things. So uh, between uh, functional movement screening, um, a lot of uh, screening of deficiencies, um, and I call it a preconditioning phase. Um, but I-, I see a lot of positives in this. Um, a lot of our athletes have been going hard for years, so. Um, you know, I see this as a good uh, chance to take a step back, take a breather, and um, and focus on the little things that we we don't pay attention in the past.
1: It's it's like when you when you're injured, you can focus on mm-hmm. the small things as well. So it's it's almost like you're injured, but but you're not injured. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly, definitely.
1: <laughs> For those who doesn't know who you are. Tell us a bit about your background in sports and how you got into track and field and eventually became a coach.
0: Yeah, Um, I I started uh, track and field or athletics uh, back in uh, my home um, where I was born and raised hometown of uh, Limassol, Cyprus, a small uh, island in the Southeast Europe Uh, for my American friends that don't really know much about geography. So I started, uh, I've done every sport imaginable, uh, but then uh, I fell in love with track and field or athletics, Uh, started doing the decathlon um, when I was about 17 years old um, and just fell in love with it. I was not very good, uh, so let's not even get there. (laughs) Um, But I I was really um, passionate about it, a lot of um, like almost like decathlon or track and field fanatic. I knew every stat, every athlete, every every imaginable record out there. So um, let's say my mind was a lot of a lot of head, lights ahead of my body. So uh, long story short, I had a lot of good coaches um, uh, and some of my biggest inspirations. It was uh, the great Vasily Krumov, uh, one of the best Bulgarian coaches that inspired me a lot um, in my future uh, career as a coach, um, so I started coaching uh, in 2000 um, in a young age, uh, pretty much about 23 years old, um, and um, you know it came very natural to me uh, being a coach for athletics. I've done uh, I've done strength conditioning or fitness training for professional soccer, basketball, volleyball teams, uh, but then I in 2004, um, January 2nd, to uh, uh, just move on to the U.S. and, um, and um, you know, get my master's degree and, and my graduate studies and, and kind of, you know, a little bit of faith um, faith leap just to um, uh, see what's out there and, and, and chase my dream as a coach. Uh, beginning was tough. It was rough. But uh, thankfully, um, I've been uh, very fortunate to, uh, to be around some really good athletes and um, had a lot of good results uh, over the years. Um, and, um, you know, I started coaching at uh, a few universities here. My first one was the University of Nebraska, Omaha, and then Boise State in and, and the last 12 years. Um, at the University of Georgia, uh, where now I'm the head training field coach here, um, uh, specializing. um, I mean, I run the whole program, but I individually coach the the jumps and combine events. Um, And obviously, um, you know, coaching uh, on a few staffs at Olympic um, Games between Estonia, USA, Cyprus, St. Lucia, Um, and and others. So um, uh, all in all, I'm just chasing my American dream and uh, happy to be a a student of the sport um, and be around some good athletes.
1: (laughs) Okay, so as you said, you you went to college in in Greece and then moved to the U.S. and and became a track and field coach in, in the U.S. So tell us more about your move from from uh, Cyprus and Greece and to uh, the U.S. and what led up to that decision and how it was to to move over the yeah. athletic Sea.
0: Yeah, um, like I said earlier, I mean, I, I was one of these uh, um, young athlete coaches that um, I was very, um, very ambitious, very, um, you know, I wanted to learn everything there is about what I do. Um, And, um, you know, unfortunately, the system in this um, southern European countries uh, is pretty tough. Um, If you're a young, passionate, um, you know, rising coach, um, you know, it is tough to get into the system um, and let these older coaches to, you know, kind of give you a chance and to show uh, what you can do. Um, So for me, I I tried a lot of things. Um, As a matter of fact, my first athlete ever Stavros Diamandis um, broke the uh, Greek under-23 record in the decathlon. Um, And to me, that was an indication that that's my calling. But uh, unfortunately, uh, the system kind of, Never give me a chance to, um, you know, to live my dream and, and just do what I love. Uh, instead, I was working construction and, you know, all, all imaginable jobs to survive. Uh, so I decided, um, you know what, I love biomechanics, sports biomechanics was my, my love other than the coaching. Um, so I found um, this Greek professor that he's one of the best biomechanists in, in the US now, and he's at the University of Nebraska Omaha. His name is Dr. Nick Sturgy. Um And then a teammate of mine at the time, uh, he's actually a professor now. Also, he was a f- uh, former high jumper, Demetrius Katzevelis he said, Hey, why don't you come out here? You know, um, he shared his, uh, his, uh, his house. I was sleeping on the floor with him just, um, in his house just to, uh, um, you know, just to get by in a cheap uh, way. Uh, and, um, and after that, you know, I started working for free and, um, you know, uh, like I said, uh, very fortunate that I've had some good athletes that, that, you know, made me look good as a coach. Um, And then uh, eventually I started with a very small job at the University of Nebraska Omaha um, in a small university. And then uh, as as the results start coming in, um, you know, people wanted to give me a chance um, as opposed to what I had back home, uh, that it didn't matter if you had athletes qualified for the Olympics or world championships or breaking records, just because you were 22 23 years old people didn't want to give you a chance uh, so i came here and became a head coach and now i do give a chance to 22 23 year old uh, young coaches to live their dream and uh and do what they love so uh uh let's say my my life my early life it was a good um uh a good lesson um for me um in these uh, later stages of my life and career that um, you know when you work hard and you chase your dream most likely uh, you make it
1: yeah it's that's one of the problems with with the track and field in europe it's that coaches often don't get the chance to to work as a coach they they do it on their free time but they don't pretty much have the time and uh, the opportunity to really take the next step and and be a coach um, full-time so
0: yeah that is correct and it's unfortunate because there's a lot of good coaches in Europe Um, I mean for me I was very lucky to have these great coaches Um, and then with my you know U.S. background and and the European technical uh, mindset um, I think it helped me become who I am today and uh, it is unfortunate and um, you know I wish some of uh, these federations would listen I um, mean, I've, I've been to many countries and spoke um, and I gave my advice and my, my thoughts, but, you know, uh, it's different. <laughs> yeah.
1: And what about the, the differences in, in training between Europe and, and the U.S.? Then you've, you've seen both, uh, both the training in, in Europe and the training in the U.S. Is, it, is there any differences in the training philosophy and, and those kind of stuff? Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, there's a very, a very big difference. Um, and again, again, I feel very, very lucky that um, I've gotten the best of both worlds. Um, I feel in the U.S. there's a lot of talent, and um, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but uh, a lot of our coaches here, American-born coaches, that they were never exposed to the European technical side. They really. Um, they really rely on the athlete's talent um, and ability. Um, I mean, you've seen, you know, in the triple jump, Willie Banks, Christian Taylor. I mean, there's so many, uh, Will Clay, I mean, so many amazing triple jumpers and and, and, and overall athletes uh, that uh, it just comes natural. Um, and um, I feel... Um, and the best example, really, I'm going to stick with the triple jump, uh, you know, my own Kitura orgy that I've um, I've coached the last five years. She's not with me anymore this year. Um, but um, and then um, Tori Franklin that broke her record. Those two great female triple jumpers are trained or developed by Greek coaches. Uh, and as you know, in the women's triple jumps, a lot harder uh, because it's more technical. It requires a little bit more delicate approach. Um you know, that will tell you not that European coaches are better, but um, I think a combination of the two makes the the great result. But to answer your question, there is some major differences um, where I think the European model is a little bit more technical and the American model is a little more hard work, uh, honest, hard work, um, not necessarily much strength, but uh, more ballistic, more um, just 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 more hard work, you know. Uh, as opposed to the European model, is more finesse and more technical. Which uh, nothing wrong with either. But if you marry the two, uh, I think you get the the best uh, result.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, so your philosophy then it's it's a combination of the European and the U.S.
0: Uh, Correct. Philosophies. Yeah. Yeah.
1: After a few years in in Nebraska, as you said, you moved to the Bois State University, and then eventually to the Georgia State. Where you stayed since, uh, and now you're the head coach there. So, tell us a bit about your coaching career and the me- memories you have from from your earlier days in the U.S. and until now.
0: Yeah, man, they. Uh, I've had a lot of athletes, hundreds of athletes that um, you know they've been through my system. You know, some of them did great, some of them did not, some of them stayed the same. Um, it's it's the same thing everywhere. Uh, but uh, the, the greatest memories obviously are the athletes that succeeded at the highest level, obviously U.S. champions, world champions, uh, Olympians, Olympic uh, placings, and all that good stuff. Um, you know, I remember you never forget your first national champion here. Um, it was uh, a Greek girl, a heptathlete, athlete, Natasha, uh, Anastasia Kivalidou. Uh, when when I was in Nebraska, Omaha, um, obviously, um, you know, moving forward, uh, she actually won triple jump. It was her first. Uh, she was actually heptathlon and triple jumper. So she won triple jump first time indoors and then won the uh, heptathlon outdoors. Um, and then um, obviously the first greatest athlete, um, you know, that I've been around. It uh, was obviously Kendall Williams breaking the world junior record at the time. Uh, and then moving forward, you know, from Michael Wiebel, kitura Orji, Laverne Spencer, uh, Shakima Welch, uh, Ryan Grinnell. Um just just many, many of them and I, I you know forgive me if I if I if I forget some uh, some names, but um uh just the ability to go one, two, three in the women's long jump when our team won the NCA championship as a team. Um, you know, having six girls over six eighty at the this- same time training here, um, you know, having uh, eight guys over 8,100 8, 100 points in the decathlon at the t- same time. Uh, Michael Webo going from seven thousand three hundred to eight thousand six hundred, and eventually getting a medal in Doha. Um, but uh, you know, Ryan Grinnell is probably my my um, my my most vivid um, uh, and happiest moment because. He was this little guy in high school in Idaho nobody knew he was jumping 690 and 1460 the triple jump and then he became 1722 you know 790 and, and 220 uh, and now he's my assistant um, you know Gareth Scanling it was uh, a uh, football player American football player that uh, never done really any combined events um, I saw him playing football and I said hey why don't you come and do the decathlon and next thing you know, you know, he had the world leading mark for many, many months. Um, score eight thousand two hundred points, six thousand two hundred indoors. So, um, just to see these kind of athletes grow um, around you and be, be, become best friends, and um, and and they're still around. They're still here, either as my assistants or professional athletes. Uh, to me, that's probably the best memories. Um, you know that the. the Another one I forgot to mention, Kendall Williams with her brother, Devin Williams, winning uh, both the NCAA championship and both becoming members of the uh, U.S. national team in the decathlon and heptathlon and still having the world record for uh, siblings in the decathlon and heptathlon. Just, just amazing memories. I mean, really, um, you know, Keturah already getting fourth in the Olympic Games in her very first Olympic Games. Uh, finishing fourth in you know two world championships in our olympic games so uh, just to see them grow you know from from where they came out of high school and and becoming the happy professional independent athletes now is just uh, mind-blowing
1: yeah and what about now then you you are the head coach uh, of georgia state now do you coach uh, a few professional athletes as well
0: yeah. yeah. So at the University of Georgia, we um, the athletes usually when they graduate, if they're if they're a high level um, and they turn professional, uh, they stay here nine, nine out of 10 times. They stay here and they train with me. Um, right now, I have Kendall Williams. Kitura Orji was here up until this year. Um, uh, she wanted to try something different. Uh, she was with me for five years. Um, and Devin Williams, Garris Candling, Michael Webo. Uh, now, Yannick Oiglane from Estonia is coming over here. as uh, a professional, in the Keenan lane at 228 hind jumper. Um, who else we got? Uh, Laverne Spencer in the high jump. Um, she just moved to England this year. I mean, I've coached her for about 12 years almost uh, since my first time here. Um, and um, and then really, whoever graduates, uh, really, uh, Carl Saluri. Um so it's, it's a big group, but I have good assistants. Um, I'm out there coaching all day long. Um, you know, my group, the ones that I personally coach between professionals and collegians, uh, it's about 18 of them. So it's a big group, but not really, uh, not really, because there are five different groups so they're about four or five per group so it makes it really easy um, to to train them uh, here and we have nice facilities nice indoor nice outdoor we have our own weight room so we don't really share anything with anybody so it makes it very very easy if you're organized of course
1: (laughs) yeah that's in 2018 uh, the georgia bulldogs won their first ever ncaa team title first for the women indoors and then the men's outdoors so, tell us about what led up to that achievements and how it was to win those two titles.
0: Oh man, that was the the, the highlight of our lives, you know, because uh, our university never won anything, and uh, you know, as a team, and uh, it kind of it's like a story of my life, you know, my whole life, people telling me you can't do this, you can't do that, or oh well, look at this, or look at that. I was always being on my own. Did my own thing. I was not one of those coaches that like to just be on social media with other coaches and just 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 do the the fame thing. I don't care about stuff like that. I'm just focused on my athletes. So to see those athletes come together and really six girls and six and seven guys help us win. So it didn't take that many. But to see them over the years, because I was coaching them for a few years and see them grow and come together and go to the, the competition and like I said earlier go one two three in the in the in the women's long jump in the triple jump win the high jump win the pentathlon you know get top three in the, in the 200 in the 400 um, it was amazing just to um, just to see this athletes stepping up and, and feeling that hey we can do this you know we never win anything we never want anything as a team and this is our chance to do it for ourselves like win our individual events and then, and then um, you know, go win the team title, um, it was amazing. And then going outdoors and see Denzel, Komenengia, win the, the shot, put in the hammer throw in, within like two hours, um, the, the boys in the hind jump, the boys in the decathlon, amazing uh, accomplishments by this, uh, these athletes. Um, it's just very special because if you're at the University of Oregon that won all these titles with all these coaches over the years, with all the Nike, you know, I mean, University of Oregon and some other universities have 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 set amazing standards for for the rest of us and and for a university like had never won in track and field to establish a a tradition and um, especially with uh, field events. That's the tricky part. That's what uh, it makes me feel really happy because we won those titles with jumps and throws. Um, That's it, really. And um, it's very special. You don't see it very often in the United States or in the NCA, because uh, everybody's so caught up with the sprints, which is good and fun. But there's other events too, and and it's nice to see a battle in the triple jump, a battle in the heptathlon, battle in the long jump, um, and helping the team win the titles. Uh, it was it was outstanding, and and leading up to that, uh, we won. We had won four. Second places, which is sucks, you know. Like you get so close, uh, but after four times finishing second, it was nice finally to win that uh, that championship. But uh, but all these these girls and, and boys that won um, the championship are all either Olympians or future Olympians or uh, or world finalists. That um, that shows you the level of competition that uh, it requires uh, to win a, na- a national team title. So it was fun times. <laughs>
1: As you said, you're focused on you focus on the field events and on the multi events. Um, how come you do that and not pay as much attention to to the running?
0: Yeah, well, because everybody's doing the um, the running in the United States, and there's a lot of fast athletes. Now we've had a lot of fast. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, here, I mean, if you look at our records and, and who we, we've had here, I mean, Shanae Miller weeble uh, you know, around 4870, I believe now. Uh, Lena Irby around 4980 when she was on the team. You know, you had athletes around 990 and all that. But as a, as a head coach on the business standpoint, you got to look at, uh, okay, work, I have 18 scholarships in the women's side and 12 and a half in the men's side it's not a lot. Um, so for me, I want to go quality over quantity. So I really focus on, on those events that can produce the most that I really like and enjoy doing, uh, which in, in this situation are the jumps and combined events. And honestly, because they're so technical, anybody is fast. Everybody's fast in this country and, and nothing against my sprints, coaches, friends out there, but, um, Uh, if you're fast you're fast Uh, obviously the attention to detail comes in the mechanics and the way you develop them but in the jumps it takes a lot of technique and a lot of work which I feel that is very important and I enjoy it so if you can have four or five girls jumping over 670 and if you take them to the competition they're going to take a lot of points as opposed to I mean, there was one year that 2280 in the 200 meters in the women's 200 meters didn't even make the final or 10, 10, 3 in the hundred meters in the men's, it was the last one in for me to go find an athlete that can run that fast or can, I mean, the amount of work and all that is, it's a little more, um, it's just a different mindset. It's like when Apple came out with the iPhone, you know, they were so mind blowing and so different on everybody that they're like what is this like, but then everybody realized that this is a very functional device. And that's what we is gonna make our our lives easier. So I kind of like to use a similar approach. Um, I like to do simple things, very simple things extraordinarily well. Uh, I don't try to do anything complicated. But I like to simplify the technical aspect of the germs and combining events and, and give this 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 talented athletes an edge to go live their dream.
1: It's good. We need more more uh, jumpers out there. So you coach a lot of different athletes uh, competing in different events and every athlete has their own skills and their own qualities. So how do you pay attention to each athlete and indi- individualize uh, their program to make make their make the best possible for them and, and to maximize their potential?
0: Yeah, that's a very good question. Obviously, every athlete is different, um, but what I take a lot of pride uh, in our uh, training philosophy is that uh, there is a a foundation of of a multidimensional approach to this training, meaning uh, and I'll take you to our order, for example. You know, she came in averaging 1320. I mean, she had a personal best of 1360 something, uh, but her average was 1320. She had a lot of deficiencies on, on the way her arms were working. Uh, but the main, the common denominator in all these athletes, especially in this country and Europe, is weak hips. Like their hips are extremely weak uh, because we're focusing so many different things that we don't understand that. You know, the hips are the, the gears of the body. If you're like a Lamborghini or a race car, if your gears are not functioning, gripping well, you're not going to produce. It doesn't matter how the car looks or how good the wheels are or, or the exhaust system, you know. So the foundation of this multidimensional approach, it lies on obviously the technique, the, the athletic development and, and mobility. So those three things are the same among the group. So sometimes athletes feel, oh, why are we doing the same thing twice a week? Well, because, you know, basic training theory or or training theory lesson 101 says for a motor skill to become an acquisition, like an acquired skill, it needs to be done a minimum twice a week. So I start with that. And secondly, you have to train them in simple words, like a, a combined event athlete um, you know, to prevent injuries and, and strengthen the, that because the body moves in 3d, as you know, so we can't train them in one way. It has to be a multidimensional. You got to pay attention to rotational strength, balance, stability, coordination. I mean, there's so many, um, so many biomotor abilities that we have to really focus on. So, it's not necessarily that each one of them has a different group, a uh, different um, uh, uh, workout. But what I do is I pair the, sim- the similar um, athletes. Let's say Kendall Williams is a speed power athlete, a good hurdler, good jumper. Uh, she's very coordinated. So I have to pair her for, for with Quintania Chapman or Luisa Gervogro, uh, the girl that I have from Germany here, that they're very similar. Now, Nina Schulz and Anna Hall are not the same. So they have to be a different in a different you know a different uh, background group so that's why I separate them in groups um, based on their ability and really their biomo abilities because uh, not everybody's the same uh, you know it's not like most of the coaches here especially at the lower uh, level they hand them the workouts and say okay here's your workout everybody's different so here's your workout here's your workout here's your workout go do it that's not how it is done. I, I believe in um, one-on-one attention. And obviously, there will be videota- videotaping a lot. Uh, there will be a lot of analyzing. Uh, you know, movement patterns are different. Um, skill acquisition time is different. So uh, each one of them responds differently. But I f- I feel the common denominator, like the foundation of this program, uh, it has to do with the way we approach every skill set biomechanical abilities and coordination so the athlete can adapt to the stimuli of this 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 workout routine that, uh, that I like to give them um, so that's what i feel it really gave us the advantage as a as a training group and as a philosophy to progress the way we have been in the past and hopefully keep doing it in in the in the future because everything changes like i said like you know, going back to your first question, how do you, how do you go by now that you have downtime? You know, uh, you discover things that you didn't even realize that were important. Uh, you know, now they came out with this uh, balance um, uh, disc that you balance and you strengthen your ankle. That has three holes for your for your uh, three. Uh, you know, we got five toes for your three little toes. So they're in the air and strengthen your big toe. So your big toe is very important in the jumps, as you know. But we never really thought about, you know what? It should be part of training, not part of rehabilitation, or if we go to the physiotherapist. So, you know, little things like that. Um, we just have to pay attention as coaches, because if you neglect that, um, then, then you have an injured athlete or an athlete that is not progressing. Even if it's one or two centimeters a year, uh, at, at the highest level, that's going to make a big difference. That's our philosophy.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you have to look at the whole picture.
0: Holistic approach, yeah, an overall global um, background.
1: The NCAA season is pretty much competing all the way from January to June, indoors and outdoors, without any real pauses in between, while the professional season and the European season has a, a pause between the indoor and outdoor season of like one and a half, two months, something like that. So I'm used to the European, to the European season. And from my standpoint, uh, it would be a bit tricky to compete from all the way from January to June without any real tough, uh, training period in between. I need to, to do a little bit lighter work, uh, in order to perform at, at competition. So how do you, Periodicize their training uh, in order to for the athletes to perform and also to prevent injuries uh, throughout the season. While when you're competing for such a long time,
0: yeah, that's a great question, man. I mean, that's um, to me, that's what separates the ones that really go far and the ones that don't make it after the NCAA. So um, one of the good things that I have here is being the head coach. You can control um, everything in your power. Um, in the NCAA system, my boss, which is the athletic director, only cares about one thing. It's the NCA championship. All the other competitions don't matter, really. To him, he doesn't get anything in return. The NCAA championships, if you finish, you know, in the top, 20 or whatever, he gets points, bonuses, and all that good stuff. So to me, with that mindset going in, I don't really care about any other championship other than NCAA championships, world championships, and Olympic Games. That's all I care about. So as a head coach, I do sacrifice a lot of these means. My, com- my athletes, if you if you look at all of my um, accomplishments or all the successes my athletes had, uh, Keturah Orji, for example, she was a second year, she was a sophomore in college when she got fourth in Olympic Games, which was in the middle of August, and she had her personal best. Well, how did we do that? Uh, we didn't compete a lot. Uh, she did world indoor championships too, which was a week after the NCA. You know how we did that? We didn't compete the weekend before the the NCAs, or we didn't – I didn't train her as hard. or So you just got to balance. Kendall Williams went and got uh, fifth at, um, at the World Championships during her collision season. You know, Michael Wiebe and all, all those guys, um, I like to control the indoor and outdoor. Um, so, for example, after indoor season, I give them a week off. Um, And then we start slowly and you got to do a little bit more volume, lower intensities, because our training model is very high intensities. So by uh, lowering the intensities, uh, uh, training intensities and increasing the volume to get more, a little more cardiovascular uh, type of uh, workout, it helps them recover faster. And obviously, my secret weapon is my chiropractor, my massage therapist, and my trigger point massage therapist. So these three guys, along with my athletic trainers, which are physiotherapists we have, they're doing a really good job helping the athletes put back, you know, in, 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 a, in a very high state. Um, so, and, and also, another big thing we have here is the way we train them in the weight room. Uh, in the United States, in the NCA, every school has a strength coach, which they're not really track and field related uh, strength coach. Uh, we are the only university in this country that I write and implement my workouts in the weight room, which I think is a big plus because I know what's going on inside and outside. So uh, all those little things, if, if you put them together and you have control over the competition, the number of competition they're doing, their recovery, their nutrition, their rest, and all that good stuff, yoga, hot yoga, all those little things, they help them last a lot longer. And um, and it's like, a, to me, it's like a paradox. You know, people ask me, you're not the first. How the hell did Ketua Arja go and, and compete at indoor, outdoor, and then she came back, did the Olympic trials, and then went and got fourth in the Olympics? Like, what do you guys do? Well, that's our secret. That's the secret recipe that I I feel very blessed that our athletes are able to to do um, and last longer because it's a very common thing in in the U in the NCA system. Like you see all these great performances, but then they disappear after June. Um, I try to avoid that, and again that goes back to my European background and and I like to to think like a European track and field coach, like a European track club. Uh, or athletic club, that's how I like to run this team. Now, that means I have to sacrifice some things, which is, I don't know if you're familiar, we have like the SEC championship, which is the conference championships, they're smaller ones. Yeah. I don't really care. For example, Johannes Erm, uh, last year, he uh, he was uh, in Sweden. Uh, he was second in the, in the decathlon at the European under 23s after a long year. Well, we had to sacrifice those little championships so he can be fresh and go. That was his, his, uh, his goal for the season, and he said a personal best. So now it's something that I take responsibility to take the blame. Uh, the year we won the national championship, we finished eighth in our smaller championships, which it was disappointing, but I don't care. Like, I want to make sure those athletes are focused on the NCA and their summer, like what, how well they can do in their summer um, competitions, because in the end of the day, people will remember the, the USA champion, the NCAA champion, the Olympic champion, the world champion. They don't remember who won the stupid little competition here, you know? So uh, it's nice. I mean, you need them because they're fun and, and it prepares you for the biggest meet, but uh, uh, you just got to know what you want and what's important for your athlete in the end of the day.
1: Yeah, so you really have to prioritize Yes. The, the biggest meetings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Uh, also, um, uh, Louisa Kervokel, actually, and I'm very impressed by her. Uh, she finished second in 2018 uh, in the heptathlon. And then one week later, she went to the German National Championships and, and she set another personal best in around 23 1 in the 200. So, um, and 12.95 in the hurdles. But, you know, the athletes, now, it didn't happen overnight. It took her two years to, to get to do that. But, like you said, Her goal was that competition and and as a coach, there's a lot of good coaches that think that way too. I'm not the only one, you know, Um, but um, the athlete has to buy into that kind of philosophy.
1: As a university coach, you get new athletes uh, to the team every year and they come from all over the world, different backgrounds, different training philosophies and cultures. so. How do you work with your new athletes who might have a complete different approach to the training than you have? And how do you make them adapt to your training?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. And that's the million dollar question, really, because um, you have to, you can't just, they have a saying here, if, if it ain't if broke, don't break it. Um, you know, Michael Weaver, for example, when he came in, he came from a whole different training system, training ideas. They like the longer runs. Uh, my, uh, Johannes are in the same way. What I like to do is I like to be, I like to do a lot of research uh, and talk to their parents and their, their coaches from before. So I have an idea of what they have been doing and what works for them, what it doesn't work for them. Um, and I kind of go along that way. I put in my, uh, usually the first year, I don't shake them as much. Uh, but gradually as we go, they adapt more to my system without really breaking the roots. Um, Michael Weebo had a, an, an amazing um, uh, bounding ability. You know, he actually triple jumped in, in high school, and, and I realized that, and, and my training overall has a lot of plyometrics, a lot of high-impact uh, exercises, which matches his, his background, but he's not a speedy guy. He's a slower more endurance guy. So how do I marry that, those two? It took us a couple of years, even though in his uh, first year here, score 8,200, which was really good. But I had to sacrifice a lot of things, especially in the weight room, because I couldn't push him too much. So we did more plyometrics. He did some extra stuff on his own too, because that's how his body was used to. And gradually I added more my my things into his what I like to call strong foundation and I just built um, build the, the the skyscraper that he is today but if an athlete comes in with no background no foundation like Kitura orgy for example I have to build her the way I like so first thing I did with Kitura we had to change the way her arms work um, and and she obviously very talented uh, you know I, I realized that she's a speed 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 strength um, type of um Uh, triple jumpers so along with the technical um, uh, interactions it was easier for me to give from my foundation so I just gotta really adjust to what their foundation is coming in because I like to to bring here really talented athletes Uh, whether they have foundation or not um, I have to adjust so um, it's it's not easy it's it's a very tough um, uh, task for every coach uh, but for me, I, I, you know, I, I like to pick and choose, um, and I like to choose the athletes that I feel, um, they, they kind of fit this, this model, uh, because I'm not, I'm no genius. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, I'm nothing special. You know, I just, I just have one niche. I have, I have what I feel very confident and comfortable with. And I go with that type of athlete and, uh, um, it worked for us, um, uh, all these years. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a great question, man. It's very, very hard to, uh, to, um, to do, but, um, if, if you're, I'm a very personable guy. Uh, so I like to talk a lot. <laughs> so I talked to the parents, I talked to the coaches, I talked to the athlete, uh, just to see what really has been working well for them. And, um, you know, for example, Johannes Herm. Uh, when he first came, he asked me, can hey, I? W- I want to go on a 60-minute run once a week." And I said, "I don't really agree with that, but hey, if it makes you feel better and it's something you've done before, go ahead and do it." Well, I let him do it, and then he he himself realized that hey, with this kind of training, it doesn't really work for me. So he kind of stopped doing it, and uh, it's just a car like. It's a mutual thing. Like you gotta be in, in your athlete's brain, and sometimes the athletes might know better than you as a coach, like what works best for them, and, and give you the ideas. But not always they know what's best for them. They might let their body speak, but not always uh, have the, the correct uh, mindset.
1: Yeah. So a combination of yeah. what the athletes uh, what the athletes want to do and what you mm-hmm. your approach. Yeah. Okay, you talked about Kitora Orgy and her her arm action, and a few months ago you posted an Instagram clip of Kitora Orgy and Jasmine oh, nice. Moore about mm-hmm. the right right hand punch in the mm-hmm. in the step face. I got a question uh, from one of my followers as well about that one. So tell us about the right hand punch and what the purpose is of that.
0: Uh, that's a. I, I feel not everybody must do that. I mean, it has to be you know obviously your your background and your body type and all that like has to kind of fit that model. But both of them, they kind of came from a, a double arm action uh, background, and I feel um, when with a double arm action in the women's um, triple jump, especially there is if you notice. When they bring their arms back, they don't time them as much. So in order to compensate, there's a little a little punch. You, you gotta pay a lot of attention to see that. And in their mind, it's actually from the shoulder that starts. It's not necessarily this, it's it's this. Um, now, Ketora, with Kitura came a little more natural because when I changed her to single arm action, um, she she had to bring her arm really high. So once you come off the, the hop phase, going into the step phase, and as you know, the step phase is the shortest, uh, the shortest um, phase. So how can we kind of combine the, the ground forces with the airtime? How can we stretch that phase? Or how we – a lot of coaches and athletes, they look at the – and even Keturah, she will tell you even now, my step phase is too short. Well, there's a reason why it's called step phase. You don't look at the distance of the step phase, but how much speed you can transfer from hop to step. Um, And it's not necessarily the the length or even the time you spend in the air. Uh, And it it takes a very open-minded triple jumper to really accept that. Uh, But if you look at both of them, the ground reaction time is less than 0.130. Which which means that they have to do something to prevent themselves from over rotating. Now they're both upright; they have the arms in the right spot. And you ask me, well, is that isn't that enough for them to stay upright? Yes and no. Uh, now there's another thing: is so I'm going to stand up here, and you look like when, when they when they uh, when they shoot, this thumb points down and it turns and turns to the left side. So. By punching out, it extends that, that that rotation. So by rotating more, you you're, you're benefiting from your side muscle groups, I guess. So by the time you hit, you come down the, the step phase, if you time it right, then you're utilizing your left side, if you're a right hopper, uh, right uh, foot hopper, uh, to swing through and use that power. And the punch, what it does, the punch is the guide of the left side to help uh, bring more speed. So in a nutshell, in very simple words, the purpose of the punch is to help us carry more speed into the second phase and eventually lose as less as possible going into the jump phase. That's the purpose of it. And it's not easy to teach, but some of these athletes that they, they, they first learn the the single arm action is good to uh to try it um i found out that it really helped both of them um and uh you know i I would do it to every single single arm action lady out there
1: (laughs) yeah and as well if you do the double arm you get this little punch and block as well so
0: so it's a similar it's a similar action really uh it just is more distinct because you look at the elbow like doing this like why are you punching it? you know uh but you gotta look at everything else too. so this is just the driver really uh to set up this space now, if you punch and your left arm is not all the way back, you're in trouble.
1: <laughs> you coach a lot of multi event athletes, and you said before you know you know a lot of uh of statistics and, and history, so I've put together a, a little quiz uh, about the multi events. Oh, so I have five <laughs> questions for you, so we'll see how you do. Okay, the first one: you coached a lot of Estonian athletes, and Estonia has a great tradition in the multi events, and they even have a Olympic champion in the decathlon. So, do you know who who that was and in what year?
0: Uh, Sir Kino, 2000.
1: Perfect. <laughs> yeah, Because beyond. he's my
0: friend. If I got that wrong, I'll be in trouble. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he also has a lot of uh, world championships and European championships medals as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the uh, second question. At the Outdoor World Championships, uh, two men and one woman has won three consecutive titles. Do you know the names of these athletes?
0: in in the decathlon
1: yeah two men uh, in the decathlon and one woman in the pen, uh, headathlon
0: that they're like they're active now or they are no from the past, um, past,
1: they have won won uh, the world
0: championships three times three times in a row yeah okay well one well, one of them has to be um uh roman chevrolet no oh no. He's not he, he won twice oh, I wow. think won twice oh wow well that um obviously Ashton Eden has to be one Remain did have yeah. didn't have that that long career huh no. oh man <laughs> three world championships Dan O'Brien maybe yeah Dan, Dan O'Brien yeah one.
1: and then two one one more uh, man and one woman uh, Jack and Jonah Kersey has to be. No, he wasn't.
0: Oh. ooh. It
1: was actually Sweet. a Swedish athlete.
0: Heptathlete? Yeah. Kluft? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Then, I need to uh, freshen up my, uh, my, my recents today. If you ask me something from the 80s, it might be easier. But <laughs> Yeah. And then the...
1: Right. Um, actually, the compatriot to, to Roman Scherble... Uh, Thomas Dvorak. Dvorak. Yeah. Uh-huh. He won three times as well. Uh, okay, the third question. Uh, your athlete, Kendall Williams, is fifth on the all time collegiate list in the heptathlon. Who holds the collegiate record in, in the event?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Jackie Jonah Curse has the after uh, NCA's, but I think, uh, what's her name? Uh, 6,500. Uh, Oh, man. She went to Georgetown. Uh, Gunthry? Yeah. Gunthry, yeah. Sixty five thousand two and Gunthry.
1: 65,027.
0: And the funny thing is Kendall scored 6,564 one month after, after her eligibility, her collegiate career. She won USA championships, but it didn't count. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Um, okay, and two athletes has broken the nine thousand points barrier in the decathlon, but how many has scored over eight thousand five hundred?
0: Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, in the world history, yeah, eight thousand five hundred. I'd say twenty five.
1: It's almost a double, 51 athletes. Really? Oh, wow. <laughs> and the last question. One female heptathlete has broken the world record four times. Do you know who that was?
0: Well, it has to be Jackie John kersee
1: It wasn't that either. It was... In Ram- the heptathlon? Yeah. Ramona Neubert of Germany.
0: Oh, man, that was way back. Wow. <laughs> Muybert, yeah. oh man, okay, you got me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> to wrap it up, we have some, a few questions from our followers as well. So, Tora is cool, wants to know if you have any guidelines for a 15 year old athlete, a jumper, uh, when it comes to weight training. Do you have any tips on how to train in the gym?
0: Yeah, well, 15 years old um, uh, is young enough, but not young enough uh, to do stuff. Um, uh, The the number one thing is depending how much uh, experience they have in the weight room, um, in the gym, I think technique, learn the technique. Um, I mean, I have my my son is 12 years old. Uh, He is doing everything with the bar, no weights. Just learn, like get the stick, learn how to do snatch, how to do clean and jerk, how to do one leg lunges like everything everything you can do and perfect just make your techniques perfect Um, and give it about six months just six months of technique every day and once you uh, master all your lifting techniques that your coach wants you to do or or are good for your event uh, then gradually start adding weight and and I wouldn't push the gym until you're 18. Three years of just progressive technical uh, strength work. And a lot of core, you have to strengthen your core yeah. That's the
1: key. Yeah, it's important to to have a proper technique because, man, you see a lot of athletes, track and field athletes, not doing cleans or snatches very good, like mm-hmm. uh, jumping apart from with feet and those kind of stuff. So, yeah, you could really get injured.
0: Yeah, very much. So, Yeah. you have to be very careful Mm -hmm.
1: okay then filippo romano wants to know how you continue to learn what do you do to to keep learning about tracking field and and training
0: yeah to me my my biggest asset is uh, obviously having mentors um like having Some old guy in Czech Republic that, um, you know, he he developed all these world champions and all that. But at the same time, uh, that that does not always work because there were different times. Uh, You have to really study as a coach and understand how recent-time athletes think and how their bodies are wired uh, and how they develop. So, um, you know, when it comes to training theory, obviously science uh, is very important. Um as a young coach, I, I highly, highly recommend is they master two really big things, sports biomechanics and training theory. Those two areas are very important uh, for every coach that wants to be at the highest level to understand why, the why behind everything we do, um, and, and really how to handle personalities, how to... Um, um how to improve you, you know your athlete's confidence in in your philosophy um all those things take experience take time and that's where you you have to have some mentor you have to have some you know older coach that has done it numerous times um and and get advice now for me one of my mentors is not even a track and field coach or athlete um he's a football you know um nfl quarterback that the advices he's giving me are very important to me for what i want to learn and then obviously vasily krumov you know was the guy that really you know set the pace for me in 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 my philosophy as as a as a technical coach but i think search search for a good mentor and master um sportsman mechanics and training theory
1: as triple jumpers focus on on the triple jump i got a lot of Questions about how to improve the triple jump, like how to improve the step phase, how to improve the hop phase, and how to not collapsing, etc. So, do you have any like general, a few general tips on how to work with the triple jump?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've I have actually a nice presentation I've done um, on Kitora, and it's full of exercises and drills. I can share that with you if you want, but. Um, But the main thing is learn like with the weight room, rhythm, the the rhythmic exercises, hop, hop, step, step, bounce, like alternate bounding. Just learn how to put your foot down the right way because in college, like we get athletes that are about 18 years old. Uh, or older, and they come in, and they're even jumpers, and don't even know their their toes cannot even stretch all the way up. So, mobility—you got to make sure you're flexible enough to bound. You can't just go, "All right, let's go triple jump because you're strong," you know, and you're you're very smart and you can understand the technique. Um, you got to really work on mobility and flexibility on on those areas like the hip, shoulder, and ankle. Um, those areas have to be very flexible, very mobile. Um, and obviously the rhythms like, um, you know, Georgi Pomaski in, in Greece, uh, another great, uh, Bulgarian uh, coach. One thing he, he, he says to everybody that I ask him is how do we improve, um, your technique? He says rhythms, rhythm, 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 every single day. And I agree. I mean, that's the thing I preach too. Um, it doesn't matter men, women, 12 year old, 25 year old champion. It doesn't matter. Like, you need to do uh food contacts. You got to count your food contacts. You got to know like every step you take every hop or every bound you take, it has to be perfect. It has to be time, time, the right way. The arms have to be in, in harmony. Um, it doesn't have to be intense. It just has to be in harmony. They gotta, they gotta work with each other. You got to start from the ground up and, and, and learn how to use your arms the right way Um alternate bounding the, the simplest exercise for any any jumper really uh, obviously you have hop drill pre-hop drill you got the, the combination you know hop hop bound bound or hop three bounce in a jump I mean there's so many of them out there but I wouldn't even do it in the runway I would be find a nice solid uh, grass not too soft not too hard, um, without, um, potholes and just, just drill, 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 drill. Um, there are so many drills out there that, um, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I mean, I have some good ones to share if you want. Um, but there's so many simple ones that you can do. Uh, and the more you do it, it doesn't really, it doesn't hurt the body as much if it's low intensity, but then when it's time to go, uh, you will be surprised how efficient you will be, uh, on the runway.
1: Yeah. Okay, and the last question: If you could invite a guest to this podcast, who would you like to listen to?
0: Uh, in the uh, as an athlete, coach, or what event?
1: Yeah, whatever event, uh, athlete or coach, you can choose.
0: Oh man, there are so many of them right now. Uh, I would say Christian Taylor. Uh, he's one of my favorites just because he's got a nice mindset. Uh, in the men's side, then women's side. Um, I'm non-biased, but Kendra Williams is very good um, in giving good advice and like telling you her story, but uh, uh, from athletes and then coaches. Um, uh, let me see. There's so many good ones out there. Um, I got to get back to you on that one. Uh, there's so many of them. Uh, you probably know them already, but yeah. Um, Christian Taylor, if I had to choose out of all of them, Christian Taylor might be uh, the best one.
1: Yeah, I actually had him Oh you had him a year <laughs> ago or
0: something. Okay, okay. It was, then it was great. Ashton Eden. Yeah. Another great one. Dan O'Brien. Great, great people that can give you like a good um, background of uh, of everything. So
1: Yeah, perfect. Okay, Petros, <laughs> thank you very much for joining. It was an honor to to talk to you and I wish you the best of luck uh, as a coach in the future.
0: Thank you very much. It was my pleasure uh, sharing uh, these thoughts and great conversation. Take care.
1: I like the conversation with Petros a lot. I feel like he described things so you could easily follow what he meant. And I really learned a lot about how the college system works in the U.S. as well. So it was, it was a really nice episode. And if you have any athlete, coach or another person you want me to talk to, send a DM to TripleJumpers on Instagram, send an email to TripleJumpers18 at gmail.com and I will see what I can do. Next week, I'm back with another episode featuring the British high jumper Morgan Lake. That's also a really nice episode where we talk about her career so far to this point and How it was to be a young track and field star. Make sure to listen to that next week. Until then, have a good time. Bye.
0: Tremendous speed once again. Oh my goodness, that is huge! It's a white flag for the Cuban.